Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me all the way on the other side of the world, well, almost, is Dr. Justin Kennedy. And Dr. Kennedy was introduced to me uh, by Elizabeth. She goes by Ellie Gould. Um, her book is called Feeling Forward. Um, and Justin is going to be speaking about his book, Reboot the Brain. But he's also going to be speaking about a few other things as well and what he's doing with a new collective of a group, this NPN that you see in the lower right-hand corner of the screen there. But Justin, good afternoon to you. How are you doing? I'm happy to see you, Greg. It's, <laughs> um, it's an honor to be on your show. It's, I'm looking forward to our time together. Well, good. And I'm looking forward to having you. And I'm so pleased that Ellie kind of made the link for us. And I'm going to let the listeners know a little bit about you. Um, you are in Switzerland. Where in Switzerland are you? Um, outside Zug in a, a very uh, small little town in the Alps on the Bavarian border. Okay. So, um, so high in the mountains with Heidi. So, okay. Um, high with Heidi. There you exactly. go. There well, you go. Justin is a TEDx speaker. He's a behavioral neuroscience professor at a university, uh, academic and executive coach, organizational neuroscience expert. Uh, he's got a certified from Harvard University in neuroscience, uh, PhD, researcher, and author. Uh, his book called Brain Boot that we're going to talk about, plus other things. Um, he says, and I quote, uh, that he works as a neuroplastician and a coach on a faculty in academic institutes. Uh, he has been a TEDx speaker and he's a PhD supervisor, professor and scholar in behavioral science and co-founder of ION, Institute of Organizational Neuroscience. Uh, he focuses on the field of applied neuroplasticity and coaching towards standardizing, standardizing. I'm going to underline that word, say it, three times because he and I had a pre-interview. And I think a big focus here is of the people we're speaking to that are in this field, uh, that NPN is where you'll wanna go to look about membership because the reality is uh, his group is trying to standardize the practices because it's all over the place right now. Um, there's, as we call them, lone rangers out there running around in neuroplasticity. Um, you can find him at jj at professorkennedy.com. You can find him at www.professorprofkennedy.com. And uh, for the website for the, um, I'm going to say newly formed uh, Certified Association of Neuroplasticians, it's www.npnhub.com, and that's www.npn.com. Well, you know, you had a roundabout way yourself of getting here, uh, Justin, and maybe not the best way to get here, um, but you start off your book, and you told me in the pre-interview, you really wanted to discuss more of the first part of the book, like the first chapter of the book is the best because it's your story. Um, and you start off by saying, you know, I'm recovering from a coma and you needed to get control over these self-belief triggers that limited your behavioral change for a full recovery. Um, 
I think for the listeners, it would be really profound for them to hear your story about how you got in the coma, what happened when people started coming in to try and help you, right? Uh, and then obviously your observation about the way your brain was working. So let's start there. Uh, so, so first off, I got into a coma by mistake. It wasn't on purpose, okay? So if anybody's wondering, it was an exercise in neuroplasticity, but not in developmental, but rather deconstructive with my brain damage. It happened on a bike, a motorbike, a Vespa scooter, in fact. And I was knocked over um, by some uh, drunk driver. And the recovery process, as I mentioned, Greg, is, was, it actually continues. I'll tell you about that in a second. It, um, it was very difficult to get back on my feet. Literally, I had to work, learn, learn how to walk again, how to talk again. I still sometimes miss a couple of words. So forgive me if I, if I make a faux pas now and again with a couple of um, errors. Um, but the diff most difficult part was really getting my emotions back on track. It was a seesaw between you know, anxiety and depression, aggression and emotion of lack of control. It was, it was, a, it was a tricky time. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, the, the consequence was that I fell out of my, uh, my training to be a psychologist because I got so interested in why wasn't this organ, this 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 uh, piece of flesh in my skull, not doing what I wanted to do? Why wasn't it doing what it used to do? Why was I now having to you know, the false start on so many things? So it was a very difficult time, and unfortunately, recently, about a couple of years ago, actually about almost two years exactly, is that I started having seizures, Greg, and because my brain's starting to decay with age, I've now started having, out of nowhere, just randomly, and I've had like only half a dozen, so it's not like I'm seizing up all the time and I'm having epilepsy. Well, I'm, I'm considered an epileptic now because you just have a couple, but I know your neuroplasticity journey is never over. You've got to keep yourself brain fit, otherwise, you can end up in trouble. So my work is my personal journey, most definitely, Greg. I've really had to spend a lot of time getting my own ducks in a row or my own neurons in a row, if you prefer. Well, it's interesting. You had a Dr. Thompson. I remember you talking about her. Yes. And, and you literally, uh, they would send people into your room and you started to notice things about yourself and the way you could actually propel your healing that they weren't doing. It wasn't part of their regiment, right? It was kind of like, okay, now, so Justin wants to choose how he's going to do this. And it had to do with your emotions um, mm. and how you were, like you were just saying, you were dealing with anger and frustration. You know, the brain wasn't working correctly. I can only imagine how frustrating that is because people look at people with mental disease and they can't tell them from anybody else until the behaviors that they institute. And, uh, and I speak from experience with a brother who was bipolar and manic. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you could never tell. And he didn't want to take his medications. What <laughs> behavior he was going to have, right? So tell mm-hmm. us how you took things into kind of your own hands as mm-hmm. a result of that and why it started working much more quickly for you. I mean, unfortunately, it wasn't aha, epiphany, I've found the Holy Grail. You know, there's just a lot of tripping up and a lot of, a lot of you know, trial and error. But, you know, the, the brain is a social organ, Greg, and it was really the people around me that lovingly supported me and, you know, kept me on to go to occupational therapy and psychotherapy. And, you know, there was a whole battery of therapies I was involved in. Right. And, you know, a big deal coach who was saying okay you're at this point now where your pathology is now under control and now you like have some control over making some decisions so you're gonna go eat to pizza and hang out or you're gonna go you know you're gonna go for a walk are you gonna go and watch tv or you're gonna go and write some poetry because i used to love writing poetry so you know all those kind of all those little challenges that like get you going again. So it was um, one grain at a time to build the pyramids. Well, you said you created a mantra. Uh, I'm going to train my brain to change my mind. And you started focusing on your physical body. Uh, what happened when you made the commitment to focusing on healing the physical body instead of the brain? Because you know, obviously there's a correlation. If the brain's not working, the body doesn't want to actually do many mm-hmm. of the things that it. you said you had to learn how to walk. You had to learn how to pick up utensils again. You had to go through all of the normal rehabilitation of that anybody would go through with a brain injury. The, the, the truth, Greg, is that you can't do anything to the brain. You have to work through the body. Mm. The brain doesn't feel anything. It doesn't care about anything. It's basically going to process what you give it. So my one knee was smashed in the accident. So I had to like get into occupational therapy to get the muscles working again. So it became my like thing. And the neuroplasticity by building back those pathways so I could walk again, you know, started a conversation with my brain that there is space for me to reboot neural pathways and get back on track. And, you know, that, that, is, that was a very important part. Now, I still remember the, the joy I mean, of being able to walk. You know what those, those guardrails that you get in hospitals? Right. Like that. Like I remember being able to let go of that thing and able to actually not fall over. So, you know, that was, that was a while ago. I mean, I'm surprised I can actually remember that because my, my memory is not great, um, obviously because of the brain damage. But <clears throat> it's, it's funny that I, I remember that now. It's so interesting. Well, you know, you, you have these insights and I know that um, movement of the body. So Dr. Thompson taught you about neuroplasticity and you became excited about making improvements you mentioned Mm. that part of the journey 
And I, I found this really, oh, enlightening, was really laid in yoga. Um, what happened when you did the yoga and meditated? And how did your body and mind change as a result of that? Because, you know, it's such a huge practice today worldwide, especially meditation and yoga meditation for stress. Yes, yes. We know what the brain happens under what happens to the brain under stress. Um, I remember, you know, I didn't realize I was creating this stress because it's subconscious many times. Right. But I ended up at Scripps, and I'll tell my own little story here. And I was having anxiety attacks like crazy. I'd get in an elevator and I'd have one. I'd go to a restaurant. Oh. I'd have one. I'd have them. They were debilitating. And so they put electrodes on my head and they showed me in front of a monitor. Here's what your brain is doing. And I really, I came to this epiphany around meditation. And that's when I started meditating the most in my life yes. was if I could calm down what was happening, I could eliminate the anxiety attacks that I was having. And I did. I literally, I, I got rid of them within like um, a month. Well done. Well yeah. done. It's about getting that locus of control back. Yeah. That's the, that's the key thing. And when you feel that what you're doing is giving you some feedback, you get like that reward. You get that dopamine pathway kick in. You get to say, okay, I'll do this again. This is something that is rewarding. Because if you don't get that reward, you know, it's hard to maintain anything. My yoga practice has gone in and out, up and down. And the, the, the yoga practice is something very foreign. Because, you know, this is like now 20 years ago more um greg so no yoga and meditation was still very very new right it was still very new age if you like it wasn't it wasn't so socially easy to get into that environment so but you know it felt so good so you know it feels good to do it eh? yeah yeah well it evidently worked for you you know yes. and and you tell in the book uh reboot your brain reboot the brain, you state that the key points in the story were about motivation and re-motivation. Mm. Um, you mentioned that the points of motivation all had a single emotional basis, and I'll underline the emotional basis, a single emotional basis, and were the feel, and there was a feeling of fear. What activities helped you during your part of your recovery? It's simply, as I mentioned, finding a locus of control that gives you some kind of reward. What? So, give an example for the listeners of a locus of control. So turning on the oven and having a massive pizza is an easy example. You control the oven and you eat the pizza and you feel good. However, pizzas tend to put on weight and you feel sluggish and you know, the side effects of eating pizza it doesn't really work so well. So finding healthy things that have a similar structure was what works for me. So, you know, an, an easy example was the yoga. You know, it doesn't take long. You feel the immediate benefits. You then get to bathe in the calming serotonin at the end and just zen out and feel so good. 
So finding activities that give you a reward for playing and then give you an outcome that is enjoyable. So it's not more complicated than that. Um, it could be meditation. It could be going for a run. It could be, you know, it could be spending time with a friend, going walk for a day. I don't know. You know, you, you can, the list can go on. It's a personal thing. But for well, me, I think, I think when we first talked, we talked about one of the biggest areas in, in everybody's life. Uh, maybe not everybody, but 80% of the population at some point is trying to control their weight change their weight right and you just said about a pizza yeah it's you know you finish the pizza but it's maybe not as healthy of a choice but mm. let's talk about the choices because the chemical releases from the brain i remember in the book you talk about two fists put together you know mm. and with the thumbs crossed right and and you've got the left and the right side of the brain and the neocortex and so on without getting too detailed um, when I'm getting a release of, let's say, I know I just interviewed 22 extreme athletes and the oxytoxins that get released by guys that are doing big waves or riding big uh, uh, skiing down mountains wow. fast, you know, or the runner's high, you know, because people are in runner's high. Well, how do you correlate that? Because everybody out there listening might say at one point, well, I want to lose 15, I want to lose 20 pounds. But the behavior and the brain has to go rewire because mm. they're used to doing something some way and they're rewiring. What would you, what would you advice would you give people about um, getting on the right path? For losing weight? Yeah, in particular. So there's good news and bad news. What do you want first? And don't say the bad news because everybody does what do you want? Don't say the good news because I said you must. <laughs> Let me just get going. <laughs> Go ahead. You just tell me. I'll let you tell um, me both of them at the same time. As you get older, like into your late 40s and your 50s, your body starts slowing down. So, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to eat the same things you would when you were younger, when your body was growing. You could get away with pretty much anything. So as you get older, nutrition has consequences, okay? So it's basically deciding how you want to show up. And there's a very interesting and impressive Nobel Prize winning researcher by the name of Daniel Kahneman, and he speaks about systems one and two in the brain. And it's a very simple model. And it explains that the immediate or the pizza or whatever shiny object is in front of you, that system is not rational. It's emotional. It is immediate. It is not contemplating the consequences. Okay. And the other system is where you have a chance to deliberate, be mindful of your decisions and giving you opportunity to look at the consequences. And the, the brain is designed to be an immediate response system because when you're living in the savannah or cave or wherever we were um, millions ago, we needed to have that skill because, you know, there was scarcity. And um, the only scarcity we had left 
is self-control, right? The only way to change a habit is to find a better one, okay? So if you want to change a habit, finding a new one is great. And the best way to sustain that new habit is in a community. That's why Weight Watchers is so brilliant because there's a group of people around you cheering you on to stay in the program. So the, the logic is simple. Do something that gives you reward. Do something that's going to be sticky to do again and build a community around you that's going to encourage you. Trying to diet on your own is, is a killer. Trying to is not what the brain is designed to do, Greg. We, as I said earlier, we are social beings. And that is why the whole neuroplastician community has born, because people are lonely out there and they don't know where they can go to get stable, standardized, quality information. They don't really know where to find their peers. So the idea is to build a community. That's the that's the big message. So I, I think what happens, and whether it's tiny habits, uh, immunity to change, I've had all kinds of people on this show speaking mm. about how to change habits and behaviors. I think, as you said, the brain, I want to repeat, because that was the key point. The brain is, is basically set up to react kind of for, right? right? right. It just, it goes. And to take the time to make the choice isn't something that's normal. It has to be reprogrammed uh, to do that. The other thing is, you know, when you eat that pizza, you're going to release certain chemical reactions by the intake of basically the flour and the rest of the stuff that you've taken in. So deprivation, you there? Yeah, I'm listening. Oh, and I'm saying, deprivation of something that's a common food is something as you said uh, is got to be done by tiny steps and changing behavior um, and, and, and the important point is that it needs to be tiny habits and i'm all all over that book i think it's brilliant that um that stuff is superb tiny habits are easier than massive ones it's obvious that is true and that needs to be within a context. So that needs to be done in an environment that's safe and motivating. Um, and the brain needs those two things. It needs to be easy and it needs to be communal. There. For, yeah. So that's... that's a, those easy are, and communal. And I, and I think that's really important, Justin, is um, it, how do you, you know, so one of the things people say, if you want to lose weight, Go take everything out of the refrigerator that you don't want and buy all new things because now you're changing the habit in your kitchen or your refrigerator um, and it's not sitting in there, right? So because you will actually reach for um, maybe the easiest thing, which always isn't the best thing. But my point is, is if your house is stockpiled and this is a common thing, not anything doesn't know with all the bad stuff, go get rid of it and just put the, replace it with the good stuff. And then you, your choices, it, your choice is being made for you, right? In other words, it's being made forward. There's another area in, that everybody's dealing with today and it's a really big one and it's stress. And, you know, the world over, there's applications to reduce stress, there's calm, there's 
uh, a new one coming out called Enlighten. Um, there's many yeah. of them. And yeah. you speak with our listeners about the brain triggers by stress um, and how we don't have to be defined by the distress and suffering from the stressors in our life, right? So we've all got many different stresses, whether it's financial or it's marriage uh-huh. issues or relationships or, you know, it, the stressors go on and on and on, but they seem to even since COVID, during COVID, uh, impacted the world greater. And now there's more of an emphasis on it. I actually noticed if there's one thing that's happened here, uh, Justin, is that there's been this huge focus since COVID in the work environment about stress. Speak with us about it and how the brain uh, functions under stress. Stress is seasonal. Um, not only in terms of climate, which is a conversation we can have as well, if you like, but it's popular and then it's not popular and it's always an issue. Um, and there's a great quote, um, wherever you go, there you are. And, you know, it's the same with stress. You know, you can go on holiday and not, it's not going to make the stressors go away in the long term. Sure, you can have a break. But the point around stress is that it's something you can control. And the, the sad thing is that like, when you're in the trenches of chronic stress, you don't feel that you can cope. Um, so stress on its own is good. I mean, cortisol gets you out of bed in the morning, so that's probably a good thing. So um, stress on its own isn't bad. This stress is good. You stress, EU stress is useful. So the... Blaming the stress is not really a good idea. Blaming the stress response is a good idea. And it could be COVID. It could be some other crisis. You know, stuff happens, hey? And it's what we do with it that counts. And knowing about the brain is great. Doing something about it is better. And having, having, a, having a trusted ally to help you understand what's going on in the mechanisms of your brain, helping someone show that this are the ne- these are the neurotransmitters that are going to make you feel a reward response. What does it feel like when you eat that pizza? What is that feeling? Okay, now we've got the pizza feeling. How can we copy and paste that into doing some yoga or you know going to speak to a friend or whatever it might be? So it's about cross-pollinating or copy and pasting that feeling so that the person gets the same um, neurobiological triggers but with a different source. Um, And as I keep on bleating on, Greg, it's all about the social experience. So if you can have somebody to support you that knows how to help you unpack that experience so that you know what's going on neurophysiologically so that you know the difference between a feeling and an emotion so that you know the difference between a sensation and a neuroception so these are all the things that you can like unpack and wrestle with so that the change becomes motivating i think that's the most important thing if it's not motivating it's not going to stick so that's well you 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 know you are saying something that but I, I, it's one thing, like it's read a book, study, 
do things, actions, and behaviors which are helping our memory, play a musical instrument, all these kind of things, they help memory. What you're talking about now is the change of a habit. It actually takes thought. The thought has to emanate first before I can do it because we're kind of on automatic pilot most of the time. You know, we just kind of go through life and we don't, you know, uh, we SF is saying at the university where I got my master's degree in spiritual psychology is you don't have to believe everything you think, right? It was a little quote. It was a bumper sticker made of it. And so, you know, when you look at our beliefs, uh, we frequently take on these beliefs as a result of something being uh, propped up, someone else saying, this is what you should believe. This is the change mm. you should make um, without us really thinking through it. You know, like, wh why? What's there? Are you going to take the time mm. to do that? And you state that we can grow our brain stronger and we can improve our memory and our thinking abilities. How can the listeners trigger their brains? to perform better and sustain these optimal healthy brain performance. Okay. Many roads lead to Rome, Greg. So, um, <laughs> but that's my Italian joke for another day. Okay. Um, the first thing is find a buddy. Um, my, 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 son, my son did so well in his recent exams and he said, why? And he, and I said, he said, because you gave me, this study buddy. So there's this little, there's a little balloon that is completely nothing. It's a balloon, but he had an association with a study buddy. So having a study buddy balloon is better than nothing. But yeah. having a person who you can have dialogue, being part of a community, being part of a book club, makes you much more likely to read than if you just buy a book. Having a tennis racket is great for exercise. But being part of a tennis club is even better. Tiny habits, mindfulness, space to think it through, having the space and energy to do it is, you know, as I said, many roads, but those are the, the fundamental. I roads. like the fact that you're saying community helps to support. And I think supporting community, and there are certain elements that need to be part of that for it to work. And if I was to say, you know, some place where you meet regularly, where there's like-minded people, yes. where people are stimulating your thought process. That's why in the olden days, they used to call them mastermind groups, right? Exactly. I say I that, that. I you know, and that concept, unfortunately, kind of died off. We're seeing a little bit of a resurgence, but people are saying, well, I'm too busy to be in a mastermind group or, mm -hmm. you know, or I'm too smart for those people or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think what I would encourage people to rethink is it isn't just who it is. It's what you can contribute to that group as well. I've got to interrupt you for a second, if I may, Greg. Everybody's busy. However, everybody's lonely as well. Right. And the NPN hub has become teeming with lonely people who all of a sudden have time because they find value. So people are lonely and they're frenetic, hamster on the wheel, chasing the dragon. If you give them space that's motivating for them to connect with other people, you know, all, the time, all of a sudden the time emerges organically. So 
um, the idea of giving people a space to think and feel and grow together is great. There's, there's space for people to be certified as neuroplasticians based on their previous qualifications. So the neuroplastician is something that is based on your previous qualifications in neuroscience. There's also training institutes that, that are associated that we can refer you out to. But a lot of those practitioners also, Greg, are doing their PhDs in um, applied practice. So someone like you who's done your master's, um, we would speak to them and say, you know, maybe you're interested in doing your PhD based on your current work. So not trying to get you into a PhD program, You there? Many different kinds of activities going on in this environment to help people grow and flourish in a like-minded community. And that's... You know, I, I think that uh, you mentioned that, you know, if we're stressed or overwhelmed, that the prefrontal cortex, cortex shuts down and that the emotional brain takes over, right? Um, what are some of the ways to calm down the limbic system so that the cortex starts to function again? Because now you're actually talking about what actually happens to us. You're actually putting a picture in someone's mind and you use the hands and the thumbs over and, you well, know, how, how you and you did a really good job of it. And I think if people said, oh, I see it. This is what's happening. Um, and this is this is how I can calm it, this limbic system down. Yeah, well, the, 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 the generous offer that I'd like to make to your readers or to really unpack that is, I'm happy to give the first 100 people a copy of my book, Greg. So I'm happy to share that link with you in your, in your community so that people can have a look at that information in a bit more detail if that's would be something. Oh yeah, we'll do that. Can... Will you'll give us a link and we'll let them download the book for free. Exactly, I'm happy to do that. And the, the way it goes, it's all about behavior change. Change your mind is great. Change how you're feeling is better. Change how you move will matter. And you know, it's not much more than that, Greg. If you if you're not happy. Do something different. In fact, I was watching um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Netflix series, which is so interesting. That guy is, an, uh, is, 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 is a genius. And he was saying, you know, when things are not working, move forward. Just like do something. Right. And, he's, and, he, said, and he said something very, very, very dangerous. And he said, look, I'm not a psychologist, but... You know, when people say that, you can only expect something not a psychologist would say. So he said, I'm not a psychologist, but when I'm feeling a bit down, I don't lie around and go to bed. I get up and do shit. And, um, you know, there's some logic in that. He does, however, forget that the neurochemistry can be out of balance and getting out of bed can cause distress and cardiac fatigue. And, you know, there's obviously another side of the story, but there is a lot to say about just moving. And yes, I agree with you. 
I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, every time that I find myself in a situation where I'm feeling stressed or closed in, you know, I just go on a bike ride. You know, the, for me, mm. the best thing I could do is be outside. And I think for most people, getting mm. back in nature is a connection with a really valuable source. Um, mm. which, and, and don't take your damn phone with you and don't put your headset in. Just mm. go walk in the woods or walk in a park or go on a bike ride and do it without some electronic device influencing what you're hearing, seeing and feeling. Let you be with your brain, whatever your brain is thinking, let it think, you know, it's got all kinds of thoughts. Um, Mm. I always tell people when I was doing century rides, the best thing for me, they'd go, they'd say, well, what do you think about all that time? You know, you're on the bicycle for six, eight, nine hours, right? And they say, what do you think about? And I, I, I would really actually think about it, Justin. And I think this is an important point. I would say, well, you know, I actually look down at the road and what I think about is not hitting a hole or falling or doing something dumb or being defensive, right? That that basically is what I'm thinking about. They're like thinking, well, you must be thinking about all kinds of things, wow. but not really. Um, I, my, As you said, the brain kind of in one sense is very simple that way. And I love this story that you tell about this reluctant CEO. His name was Adam. This guy had four heart attacks. He changed his behavior, but he wasn't willing to stick with your coaching program to change his habits. Um, What does it take for somebody like Adam to rewire their brains? Because he was obviously a type A personality. um, And he, he was somebody you were coaching. Right. No, you know, it, with with coaching, it's a funny thing. You know, why are you in a coaching program? Have you been put there by somebody else? Have you been suggested because you're so top A? Everything's everybody. Nobody wants to work with you. You know, what is the what is the what is the entry point? So that makes a big difference. If it is a negative entry point, you know, it's much more difficult to be sticky, as it was in this case. So, you know, if you get a bit of benefit and you think, oh, that's good enough, then you're moving on. So it's about finding those reward mechanisms that keep you keep you on track. And it's everything from coaching to eating to maintaining relationships to being professional to finishing a PhD, whatever, whatever it is that you value. Um, yeah, it's just about doing the hard yards. It's not... There's there's no there's there's no easy way out of this life. Well, I like what you said about Arnold Schwarzenegger. He said, you know, when you get to that point, just do something, you know. And 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 there's a lot to be said for for what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, people may say, well, that's just too simplistic. Well, do something. And here's what I would say: do something different, not just do something. Do something that you wouldn't normally do or that you've been meaning to do, but you've been postponing. You constantly have said, oh, well, you know, uh, for me, it's a thing called the total gym. So I started getting on the total gym because I have one for a long time. It sat in the closet. And I feel so much better about myself because it's not just cycling. Now I'm working my upper body and I'm doing other mm. things. So the, the point was, I say when you do something different, then form the habit around 
doing something different that's enjoyable. So if you want to go play volleyball, then go play volleyball, but go do something. I love what you said about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, you... Doing something is also as simple as meditating. You know, yeah. nobody, nobody, nobody ever stopped doing something and then, you know, felt like they had waste time. And, you know, it's just, it's just refreshing. It's just a bit of novelty to the brain that you're now doing another activity sometimes. And that is just enough. But it's not always just enough. Now, there is mental disease. You know, these things do exist. And... It doesn't mean that everybody can arnie their way out of a problem. However, it doesn't mean that you can't give it a go. So, you know, depression is a bitch. You can't really just snap out of it. Um, but the research shows that by exercising, you're getting um, those endorphins going, you feel the better. But it doesn't mean it's going to fix the root cause of the problem. And having someone who's skilled to help you unbundle that stuff is obviously going to be helpful you know it's giving you that, that dialogue that partnership that space to think aloud because our brains like to think aloud you know when we get into internal dialogue it gets it gets very complicated in there the the, the neural networks get confused by who's speaking and who's listening well, I remember uh, a book that Dr. James Gordon wrote. I can't remember the title right now. He's been on the show a few times. But, you know, he would say psychologists would spend their life um, and psychotherapists, um, but psychologists in particular, prescribing drugs for depression. And he would say, look, 90% of the people that are on those drugs don't need those drugs. Exactly. And what they need is they need movement in their life. He said, mm. go do Chai Chi, go do yoga, go for a walk in the park, go do a run, get on your bicycle, whatever it might be. He said, movement is a cure for many of these things. And instead of taking Prozac, because you're d depressed, right? And I, and I loved what he, he said, because he's really kind of coming out and saying, yeah, there are cases where people do need medications, and I, he, he, he wasn't slamming the pharmaceutical industry, mm -hmm. but he was saying, seriously, 80% of the time I can treat patients without medication right. um, so that you don't become dependent on it. Now, you of all people have studied brainwaves, uh, what triggers brainwaves become imbalanced and how we can trigger our brainwaves back to finding balance. Um, also, can you mention to our listeners these Seven brain waves. You, theta, delta. You just, you just, you really studied all of these brain waves. But if you want to summarize it quickly and just say, "Hey, this is how these brain waves come out of balance." I thought that part of the book was interesting. Very good. The the the, the simple truth is that the, knowing about the brain waves isn't going to help you at all. It's useful if you've got some interest to do a PhD or if you're interested in learning about it, but rather go use some neurofeedback technology to get a felt sense of what's happening in different brain states and what happens in different hoods. The, the simple answer is that you want to slow down the brain because the, the more hurts you get, the more stressed and tense it becomes. So the goal is to simply, as we said, find that way of controlling the stress rather than getting lost 
in that distress. So we want to get into that sweet spot of that alpha brainwave when we're in that flow state, where we're in that space where we're learning and we're dancing with the problem rather than drilling through trying to get it resolved. So I'm um, speaking about this flow state. Uh, you mentioned immersion and Paul Zach's work, and his new technology is so cool. I'm going to, um, you know, you can interview him on more if you have already, but the, the idea about the work about getting you engaged in immersion of the experience is it's a it's a it's a great sorry it's in my eye it's a great way for you are you okay <laughs> no, no, it's, just, it's an eyelash uh, oh do you so need it's, to it's a, it's, a, it's a great way for you to find happiness is when you in that moment when you're lost in the moment like when you're dancing or swimming or playing the fool whatever else you might be doing well, you know, I, I, I reflect back on people that have been on the show that have spoken about the flow state. Um, and one of them is, is uh, Stephen Kotler, the Flow Genome Project. Oh, and wow. Stephen, Stephen's been on the show six times, maybe seven, I don't know. But, mm -hmm. you know, he's just a prolific writer, uh, but also a pro prolific researcher about uh, flow, what actually creates flow. Um, mm. And in one of the interviews, I remember, you know, it's, you know, he says, focus is for free. That's what he says. Focus is for free. Um, but you then have to actually, and for my listeners, they've heard this before, but I don't think you can hear it enough because he kind of did research on, well, uh, if I have, if I'm curious and then I create a pur purpose from my curiosity, Right. And then from that purpose, I create um, an aim or a goal. And then I go from there and I set the proximal goals. So when you look at people that are curious and in the flow, those are the people literally that he claims get something done. Right. In other words, it it happens. They can sustain that flow. And and I think a key to is finding purpose. Purpose is a really big thing, huge. right? Huge, huge, huge. And like you, you've spent your life kind of studying this and helping people and putting this community together. And it's very important. And that leads me to these happy hormones. Uh, you have to be getting happy hormones. Um, and people want to know how to produce this and this oxytoxin. Um without going to go do ayahuasca or something like that, where I can change the brain chemistry short term anyway, um, because it's prolific what people can do if they really want to. I can microdose LSD, I oh, can do right. oxytoxin. I mean, I, I mean, I can do ayahuasca. Um, so how do I produce these natural happy hormones? As you said, one word find your purpose and that is not so easy it's not like it's lying around in the garden under the weeper it's <laughs> something you have to kind of spend your life doing right. and it's not the finding it's not the, the actual finding of the thing it's the journey towards finding your purpose and it becomes your your life's work and if work feels like it has a philosophical purpose whatever that might be you know, it gives you a sense of well-being. And it's good to distinguish 
well-being from happiness because a lot of people think happiness is joy and i prefer to think that happiness is a way of sustained well-being and that depends on purpose as you so brilliantly suggested greg yeah it it there really is you know um i created i used to teach a course in purpose if you can teach a course in purpose but i oh, did wow. um what was the purpose of I exist to serve to inspire my purpose. My purpose is I exist to serve to inspire passion. When you break down the word passion, for me, I mean, not in a biblical sense. Um, for me, it's taking people from a place of uh, not understanding or being confused to a place of clarity and understanding. And people say, mm. well, your podcast show is a great example of something you're doing to help to create clarity around, mm -hmm. in this case, neuroplasticity. How does our brain mm -hmm. work? All these interviews help my listeners, as far as I'm concerned, find a place from where they may be confused, misunderstood, to a place of where they can create clarity. Now, that purpose has been with me for literally 25 years when I defined mm -hmm. it. And I haven't changed it. And I have been very dedicated to it. And I think that's true about any teacher, any professor. Your, your whole goal is to say, hey, I'm here to actually create clarity where there, not be, where there might not be clarity or to create investigation where there not, right. may not be investigation. Uh, because you help people actually get curious about finding solutions and NPN is a place where people can continue to use that curiosity amongst a group of other people to actually come up with a standardization, new ideas, ways that you're gonna bring this out to the world. And that leads me to my last question. If I'm gonna reboot, reboot my brain, and it can be done in some pretty simple ways as you're talking about today, what are some of the behaviors that we could adopt to reboot, reboot our brains? And the most important behavior about everything is the behavior of consistency. So it's not really a behavior. Very good. I mean, it's not a behavior, but it is a behavioral pattern. I don't know, but you know what I mean. About it is. So you know, do what you like, but be consistent about it. Um, so that's the whole point. And as you... Uh, we've been discussing have purpose behind it, and you know if the if the purpose is I want to lose weight, it's not really motivating. You know, it's like demotivating. Oh, I'm overweight. But if it's like I want to, you know, be able to swim with my son or I want to go on a hike up the mountain, you know, there's like there's like there's a positive uh, outcome that is a stretch target. That is that's very exciting to the brain. And you wake yeah. up and. You Okay, today is another step in the right direction. That feels that feels good. So I think what you're doing is you're talking about kind of feeling forward when some usually whether it's weight watchers or it's any other thing, we're talking about losing weight because it's a pretty common one, but there's many. You know, I want to look good in my suit at my daughter's mm -hmm. wedding. I want to exactly. look good in my dress when I go to this, you know, mm -hmm. the prom. I want to look good because I'm going to go to the class reunion, you know, um, and the, and the, and that sense is 
because you can see that, right? You can see, you can visualize that. Um, you can feel it. You also know what it feels like. And I think when you would tie, like Ellie said, the one who introduced us, the emotion to the outcome, right? It's almost like you're living it already, right? Mm -hmm. And I, and I, that's the feed forward model of her uh, expertise. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? It it does, and I and I think when you're talking about our brains, our brains are they're not stupid almost, but they're they're mm -hmm. designed to just keep us continuing going on, right? And mm -hmm. I think part of us is designed um, for homeostasis. So we literally start to default. So if we push something in one direction, it's going to go, uh-oh, no, no, no. You, you don't want to go mm -hmm. that far with that. You, you need to come back here because this is where I feel good. You know, I don't want to push. So you, know, you can imagine somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger's listed hundreds of thousands of pounds, right? There aren't very many people that are going to want to dedicate themselves to going into a gym and and doing that and you said staying consistent right it takes a lot of work and i'll add a word to your your uh definition dedication mm. you know consistency and dedication is the key to this so now for all of my listeners you're going to want to go to these websites you're going to want to get a free copy because justin's going to provide us with a free copy of this link to get to download his book and for all the people that are in the neuroscience field okay uh, we'll have a link to the npn uh, website where you can go we'll also mm -hmm. have a link to uh, professorkennedy.com website where you can learn more about him mm -hmm. and it's been an honor and pleasure having you on the show i appreciate you. you taking Thank the time to just tell us about what you're up to, uh, give us some ideas and thoughts about how we can reprogram and rewire our brain, and also your story about the coma. I think, you know, how you got here is a result of your own personal history. Um, you know, we look back in time, it's like you, when you see and you weave the tapestry in your life and you go, wow, how did I get there? What triggered that? Right. Um, and yeah. I think Dr. Thompson triggered it. I think the guy who hit you on the moped triggered it. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of things, but you changed the course of direction of your life um, because you became passionate about things that you were trying to cope with. Exactly. Right? It became a personal journey. And I uh, hope that people come join us at npnhub.com. Great. When they join as the member, they get like a free couple of weeks. They can get the book for free when they join. Tell them to come and join us. It's a great conversation. It's a great community. And now I hope to see you soon. I hope you'll have me back on your podcast. Um, and I really love this time together. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate having you on, Justin. You have a great rest of your evening. Thanks, Greg. Take care of yourself. Namaste. Namaste. Have me back on your podcast, um, and I really love this time together. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate having you on, Justin. You have a great rest of your evening. Thanks, Greg. Take care of yourself.
Namaste. Namaste. It's a great community, and now I hope to see you soon. I hope you'll have me back on your podcast. Um, and I really love this time together. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate having you on, Justin. You have a great rest of your evening. Thanks, Greg. Take care of yourself. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.